It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on our path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Lodestar URY, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenue streams, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales. Welcome everybody to the Revenue Maze. I have an exciting guest today. I really love this one. <laughs> All right. So currently he's working with the big four, uh, one of the big fours um, for global consultancy for to fund turnarounds and small businesses and other groups. And he worked for Kamar Group, which then brought him to kind of how he's getting today. He was part of the alliance with the um, Institute of Chartered Accountants. Ooh. And then um, that's where he got into the failing businesses and turning around. And right now he's currently um, doing some interesting stuff that we'll talk about more, but helping those small businesses in the sales and growth range. And so I would love for everybody to welcome Murray Wilkinson out of Scotland. Welcome, Murray. Hi, Val. Good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too. Okay, now you know how this show has to go. We have to, first of all, talk about the revenue maze. And so what is one thing, Murray, that you could tell people that would help them get out of the revenue maze? So I think, uh, I think what I've found, Val, with, with many, many businesses, and, and quite shockingly, um, lots of businesses don't, haven't really invested in, in properly designing their sales system. And, and that's one of the things that I've uh, been helping companies with here in the UK, because really, if they don't have a proper system, they can't practice, and then they have difficulty executing. And it's quite, quite shocking that um, uh, sales now is challenging, and of course, um, if you have a proper system, it, everything hangs off the back of that. So you can coach and train your staff. You can understand your buyer. Uh, if your salespeople understand your buyer, it gives them a, obviously an opportunity and an advantage to make sure they can deliver whatever it is they're looking to deliver irrespective of your, your sector. So systems for me uh, is, is the big thing and it tends to be where we always start with uh, SMEs over in the UK. Do, do you find that in the US, Val? Is it a similar issue? <clears throat> yes, I find that sometimes people go, well, why do I need that process? And how do I know your process is going to work? <laughs> That's what I get. I get that question all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. How, what's your guarantee? <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think, um, you know, the, it really starts off with understanding what the client's buyer is looking for. And, uh, you know, there, there's lots of businesses who are, who are very good at talking about what they do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not really about them. It's about their client. Uh, so, so typically what, what we'll, we'll start off doing is say, well, look, have you actually asked your clients why it is they engage with you? Uh, what, what made them at that moment where they actually said, yes, let's, let's, you know, let's get on board with, uh, with your company. What, what was it that made your client actually take that step? And it, it sounds simple. It is simple, but it's, it's quite frightening the number of businesses who don't properly 
survey the bias. And it doesn't have to be really formal. It can be a case of just picking up the phone. Uh, and of course, once you understand why your buyer buys, it's uh, it's a whole lot easier from, from there. Do you agree? <clears throat> I, I do agree. Because I always say, even on the uh, on these shows, that one of the things that I always talk to sales teams about is, and it was from a mentor, so I can't say that I, I came up with it because I'm not that brilliant, but he always asked the question, why do people buy? And it always trips everybody up, but it's the simplest Absolutely. thing. Why yeah. do people buy? Their reasons. That's it. And if you yeah, don't know no, their reasons, you're done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100. And and it's uh, and it's quite interesting when when you're in a consultancy position and you're you're going into a company as a an outside looking in. Um, it it sounds like you, you've got the meaning of life, but it's not. It's basics. It's simple, simple stuff. And and organisations get caught up in their own thing and they forget to actually consider what the customer's thinking and and. And I know in my experience with any of the companies I've been involved in, um, invariably what happens is once you've spoken to the client and found out what made them say, yes, I want to go ahead, it's not what you think. Um, because people buy for their own reasons, don't they? They do. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah, I would think that surveying would be one of the most, I mean, I don't know, when I tra train reps, um, they're constantly going, well, what's my cadence? What's this? What's that? And I'm like, all you got to do is ask them about themselves, shut up and listen. <laughs> you, know? <Well> <laughs> you know, and it's like, use a survey, do whatever you need to do, but make sure that, you know, sales 101 means that you're solving a problem. You and I have talked about that before. You're solving a problem. You're not trying to force somebody into something that is the wrong size shoe or the, you know. And so, yeah, that's that's cool. Absolutely. And, and we see a lot on social media and, and, you know, within some forms of training where uh, they talk about closing techniques, high ticket closing techniques, all this sort of stuff. And, and for me, Nowadays, it's less and less relevant. That maybe worked in the past, but the buyers now, in my opinion anyway, are more sophisticated. Um, they are looking for a different type of engagement from the reps, and uh, they're looking for a high degree of professionalism, and so they should, because, uh, you know, again, whether your, your client is selling a, a widget or a piece of machinery or whatever it might be, or they're selling a service, the, the sales journey is more complex, therefore it needs a different type of approach. And there's, there's lots of good selling systems out there. Sandler is one I'm familiar with and, and, and keen on. Jeb Blunt, who, who I know you're aware of over in the US, uh, I'm a big advocate of, of anything he teaches both in his books and in his sales academy. It's all really good stuff, um, but it's, it's evolving and continually evolving. And, and that's, that's the challenge, facing companies that have teams of reps, uh, which, which hopefully we can solve. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, it's as simple as asking and surveying, <laughs> yet it is so complicated all at the same time because of human nature. 
is what I'm hearing you say, because at the same token, because they buy for their reasons, it's kind of almost like you need a divining rod to figure out what the reasons are if you're not going to listen. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the way I kind of um, put it across to the reps that I'm involved with at the moment and, and have been in the past is it's, you know, when you first start chatting or talking to your potential client, uh, you, you're actually assuming the mode of a doctor almost, where, you're, where you're, you're trying to work out what the diagnosis of their problem is. And and again, it's, it's about being open and transparent because your customer will react well to that and genuinely being interested in, in you know, where their result is, what, what works for them. And it, and it, in often cases, in fact, I would go as much as to say 70 to 80% of cases, it's not what the rep thinks. And, it, and if you don't ask, shut up and listen, you'll never find out. And, and you see reps, uh, you know, inexperienced reps doing that all the time. Yeah. Well, in, yeah, I think there's a stat in the United States that uh, I'm probably remembering wrong. So please, anybody listening, don't quote me on it. But it, it's astounding. But, you know, less than 50% of the reps that are in sales should be in sales. <laughs> and, and I think it's like one in eight can actually close or something really, really low. You know, I don't remember where the stat is. I'd have to have it in front of me. But it, it's a low number. And I, when you start talking about surveying and listening to the customer, I think that that's, that's part of it. But revenue ties into marketing. It ties into more than just a, a B2B sales team. And in fact, some of them aren't even B2B, don't need a B2B sales team, you know? And so if a lot of times I was interviewing a customer this morning and we were talking just a little bit, can you tell me if my product is even worth being out there? You know, and sometimes it starts there too, you know, so that survey is a very, it's a very important tool, I think for sure. So Marie, let's talk just a little bit. How I introduced you, you have this amazing experience. How did you get kind of from where you are to what you're going to be doing today. And I know you have some great nuggets about that as well. Why, you know, why are you in this racket? <laughs> I think, um, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I think um, really when I go back to when I first started in sales, which was probably in my, my early 20s when I came out of university, and, and, and I liked it because, because it's a people game and, and the people game works for me. I like... Um, you know, for example, last year or last two years during COVID was tough because, you know, the in-person meetings were all but gone. And OK, yeah, we can do this on Zoom and it's great. And it's and it's broken down boundaries, which I think is fantastic. But but still, we are, you know, we are we are people, people. And um, and from the point of view of uh, what I did, I started off in corporate finance, uh, leasing for both businesses and individuals. Obviously, then we had our alliance with the Chartered Accountant Institute, which was great, that there's, there's never been a more unlikely sales team than a team of accountants. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think that's a global thing. I don't think that's just a UK thing. Um, so, 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 but from that point of view, the, um, 
but but you know that they're probably the toughest the toughest clients you'll ever have um because they're, they're pure logic based uh, as, as you know um but but you know once once you're connected with a, a team of accountants uh, it certainly it certainly helps for sure um, so, so really, for me, it, it, sales was always a people game, and that was what I enjoyed. So, uh, so it was always a natural fit. And then, of course, as you've, uh, as my career progressed, when uh, I was myself and a senior finance a finance director would go into an organisation who uh, were having trouble, uh, I would look at operationally. Uh, the FD would look at the finances. Um, I used to call them my conscience, um, and 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 that was how we affected turnaround. And and it, it really is just fundamentals it's, uh, and everything, irrespective of how complex sales is becoming. You know, lots and lots are not looking at the fundamentals, and it has to start from there for sure. That's 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 certainly what I found works uh, over here in the UK for sure. Yeah. Well, you, you joined the crazy group, <laughs> the group that they rank themselves as the bottom feeder half the time. Absolutely. Try so to get true. head trash out of that. And uh, yeah, I love that it's, uh, that it's, it's people. You actually get to interact with people. I, I, even on this podcast, I get so excited about them because I learned so much about, about people and it's exciting. Um, so, so when we talk about exciting, so what do you see in economics or in um, just the wave of the future? What do you see happening out there and what are you excited so, about? So, so no, great question. So I think in particular, the thing that I see as, as, as exciting going forward is this, the, the change, the, the change that's come across or, or come upon us so quickly because of the pandemic uh, the the new technologies that are, are evolving in such a rapid rate, uh, the whole climate agenda, which is 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 global. It's not not about UK or US. It's it's a global agenda, mm-hmm. and how people are transitioning so quickly. For example, um, I, I've got a bit of experience in oil and gas and automotive, and if you look at those two sectors specifically. Uh, the innovation that's coming is coming thick and fast. In fact, I was chatting to a client at the weekend. I was uh, I was up watching a rugby match, and him and I were standing next to each other. We got chatting, and he was talking about um, the opportunities in wind and wave power. And um, they're they're running a project just out of Gran Canaria in the Canary Islands uh, because I don't know if you know Gran Canaria, but it's very very windy. Yeah. And lots of waves. So, of course, <laughs> yeah, uh, the 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 uh, the Spanish government are are supporting and investing in that technology to create power from new sources. And and I think that's in 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 so much as it's challenging, it's fantastically interesting. And then the the other thing I came across just last week, actually speaking to one of our oil and gas clients in in the north of of the UK, they were talking about. Oil and gas is still there and will still be there for a long time because, the, you know, we do, do have this tremendous reliance on it. But even within, uh, so for example, some of these big oil rigs are, are powered by very inefficient 
means. So um, um, oil, oil and gas fire generators, which are as little as 20% efficient. So of course, there, there again is another uh, opportunity to innovate and find out a solution for that. So, so I find innovation really exciting. I think, um, uh, I, I think, and but the, it's the pace now that I think is has lots of challenges as companies try and keep up. New startups come into the market, need support, need funding. Uh, the project we're working on just now is funding for early stage, mid stage growth businesses within um, government support and also um, upfront funding of uh, research and innovation. So that's a really interesting sector to be in and, and, and represents our future and, our, and our, you know, our, our offspring's future too, our children's future. Uh, so so that's, you know, that's, that's a big motivation for me, for sure. Very interesting. Yes, you and I've had conversations about infrastructure and some of those dialogues, and that is super exciting because this next generation definitely has some good things that they can hope for, for sure. Um, and so one of their biggest challenges, though, is, like you said, the funding or the direction and um, the job market has changed completely so how are you dealing with that so so as you know um, I, both you and I came together uh, over LinkedIn when we started talking about the whole fractional model so mm -hmm. uh, one of the most recent projects I worked on was uh, was with a senior recruitment organization US based um, who was assisting uh, c-suite executives to transition into new roles but even since then, the you know the uh, uh, during COVID they called it the Great Resignation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now they're talking about the Great Rehire because the people who resigned are thinking, "Oops, <laughs> I think I need a job." So That's a whole nother podcast, yes. <laughs> I, I, absolutely, we, we can do that one at another time. You're absolutely right, but it's um, but but you know, for example, with some of these early stage startups, that they. They can't afford necessarily to fund a six-figure, uh, you know, chief of revenue or chief of sales. So the, the fractional model works well. It's already gathering momentum here in the UK. I know in the US it's, it's gathering some considerable momentum. Um, and it makes sense. It makes sense to bring in uh, someone who can, who can help steady the ship, put the controls and processes and systems in place, and then hand off and assist with the recruitment of the new um, head of sales, head of revenue, or, or sales management, or even individual reps. So the, the uh, fractional model, in, in my opinion, works well, because of course it's nothing like the investment of a, uh, a six-figure uh, uh, head of sales. And, and of course, what, what, I have a client who works in oil and gas at the moment, and, and he has a he has a great model that supports this um, because, of course, some of the big oil and gas companies have legacy astronomical salaries. And, of course, the, the space that they are transitioning into uh, doesn't have the margins that oil and gas does. So they have to look at those costs and they have to make sure that they are uh, creating their uh, systems around the minimum, or not the minimum, but but an affordable level 
of senior management, middle management, and then of course the the guys and the and the ladies on the uh, at the coalface who are actually making the you know making the sales and making the revenue happen. So the fractional model, in my opinion, works well for that, and I think that's going to evolve more over over the, over the coming years for sure. Yeah, um, some there's two two schools of thought with fractional. One, they don't understand what it is at all. They're like, what is fractional? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. number two is what? You mean a full-time equivalent couldn't move the needle faster than, than you. And um, so I have found that that's an interesting, those are both very interesting questions. And I usually answer people by saying, I can give them a definition for fractional moving the needle depends on what they can afford and what their talent pool is and who's actually going to do it. Right. So that one's a little bit messier. Um, and you've been in finance. So there's times where it's like, I, I think the guys from sales QB, um, oh, um, Jim from CEO focus, he runs that. Cause I'm, I'm part of sales QB for the sales management portion of what I do. But, um, Anyways, and for, he, he used to say, you know, there's steak and there's steak, right? <laughs> and a $50 steak is not a $10 steak. And we all know that when we taste it, right? So the question that, um, you know, the whole theme of a dollar is too much if you don't have it, it, it kind of boils down more to not what's the price point, but the return on the investment and how fast the return on investment comes back in. What are your thoughts on that? So I think uh, no, it's, it's, it's a fair comment, but, but ultimately a good manager manages. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily get into the weeds and, and a good manager there is to lead and, and help the team to perform at their best. So and, and that's why, again, in my experience with the fractional model, yes, okay, so in the first months, there's maybe a higher level of involvement until the, the team is working at optimum. Uh, but ultimately, the, the, you have to focus on execution because uh, ultimately, um, that's what brings in the dollars. So, uh, and, and that's down to the team. And, and as you well know, it's uh, it can be very variable in terms of, uh, when you go into an organization, what's, what's the team like? Uh, how do they react to someone new coming in? Um, uh, you know, how is that transition managed? And that comes from the top. That comes from the owner, founder, um, chief exec, whoever it might be. So, uh, so, of course, they need to be on with the model to make it, uh, to make it executable. Um, and I think that's where the one of the things I like about the, the, the double approach that you and I have talked about before in terms of someone looking at revenue come finance, someone looking at operations. Uh, and if the same team are doing that, it, uh, it does make a difference within the organization for sure. Um, but execution is so important. And again, that's where we come back to the systems, isn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it is. So Murray. What do you like to do for fun? <laughs> I know a, a little birdie told me that you went to Andre Rio the other weekend <laughs> and you waited a long time to get there. But what else do you like to do? Well, do you know that? Well, there, there's, there's the story. So, so the tickets for that were bought on the 26th of December, 2019. 
So um, <laughs> and that's probably the longest I've ever bought a ticket and waited for the concert. The concert was fabulous. So I like classical music. I like I actually like all types of music. Uh, I'm big on travel. Um, one of my bucket lists. I haven't been to Vienna yet. I will be pro- hopefully this year. One of my favourite places to be is Barcelona. Uh, number one for the climate. Number two for the nightlife, the beach. It's very cosmopolitan. Great place to be. And of course, I love tapas too. Um, so travel is probably top of my bucket list and, and looking forward to doing that more now we're out of lockdown. Uh, I play a bit of golf very badly. Living in Scotland, <laughs> you have to play golf. Um, I'd be worse. I'd be worse because <laughs> I'm a tennis player. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There you go. So, um, so I live next to some of the best golf courses in the world in, in Scotland, which is, which is amazing. Um, and uh, cycling, I like to try and keep fit. Again, I've got um, a bit of work to do after lockdown to improve that area of things. Uh, but we're all the same. You know, that's a global thing for sure. Um, and I've got a big family. I've got four kids uh, who uh, at various ages from 14 up to 27. And, um, the, the, you know, they're forging their way and I love to support and help them. And, and you know, they're all doing good and, and um, enjoying the new opportunities that... that my, my oldest girl is a designer and extremely talented. My two boys are at university and my smallest girl is just at school. So there's a fair age range there. And that, of course, keeps me busy, as you can probably imagine. Yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely. definitely. <laughs> so tell me, Val, what about you then? So I know your background, you, uh, you had some background in heavy machinery. I know you're doing the fractional um, piece at the moment with, with construction, with PR. And, and so on. So how, how do you find that in comparison to the, uh, to the heavy machinery industry? It must, that must be a big change. Well, you know, manufacturing is, you know, it, it is. They're just, people will say sales is sales, but, um, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of challenger methodology and um, selling ideas are 10 times harder than a widget to me because <laughs> yep. people can see tangible um, And so for me, I just think that in sales period, I've always had what I call ADD. I, I love, not, not really, but you know, um, and hopefully that wasn't politically incorrect, but you know, (laughs) at least my attention span is, is uh, what some people will call a gnat. Um, I'm kidding. I actually am an, a, a long distance runner. So my attention span is okay that way, but absolutely. anyways, I just love, I love, like you said, at the beginning of the show, I love ideas. I love the future. I am a sci-fi geek. And because I'm a sci-fi geek, I like seeing how companies are, solving challenges that are making lives better in the future. And mm-hmm. I like to see those companies succeed. So yeah, construction, um, heavy equipment, real estate appraising, um, tax and accounting, SAS um, actually, and enterprise. I had a recruiter one time say, you don't really have SAS or enterprise. And it's like, yeah, I didn't really set it out and say SaaS and enterprise on a LinkedIn algorithm. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I love the PR company that I'm working with. I'll give them a shout out right now, Joe Toe PR, because they are disruptive in how they do their 
how they how they do PR. And a lot of times in the revenue process, people forget that PR makes marketing and sales jobs easier. Of course it <laughs> does. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And, 100%. and they all see it as an expense and they don't see it as getting the, you know, as uh, KJ says, getting it out there in the court of public opinion, right? <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. Helping them. So uh, yeah, and this uh, construction SaaS company right now, um, safe site check-in, I've just always believed in the safety of those workers. And with the infrastructure projects going through uh, with these mega cities through 2050 and in it, you know, physical infrastructure and then tech and every other type of in- infrastructure out there. I just find it fascinating, just absolutely fascinating what people are doing to help, you know, the global economy. And also um, their, their stories are not much different, whether it's a widget or a service that helps the widget, their stories are not much different, you know, so pretty cool stuff, Murray, pretty cool stuff. So yeah, no, it really is. And it, it, it's, it's uh, as I say, it's investment in the future and the, and the pace of it that's exciting and but every one of them needs funded uh the project we're working on just now is quite exciting in terms of um we've actually managed to to have a bit of a coup in terms of uh helping uh growth businesses forward fund their innovation and then use the support that's available from the governments and this is not just a uk thing this is global Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've managed to get one of our funding partners to stand up and allow that to be funded in advance. And, and that's quite unique in, in the space in that um, it, it means that there's, there's investment in innovation that's possible that wouldn't have been possible before. Yeah. Uh, because typically they'll, they'll fund it with maybe VC money or, or um, private equity money. And then of course that will be paid back with the grants and support that come from other means. Uh, but of course, when you're able to fund it in advance, it makes a whole lot of things, a lot, whole lot of more things possible. So that's a project that we're super excited about. We only got the news of that last week. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're just, I'm just starting to reach out on LinkedIn to people in my group who are in that sector um, in terms of um, uh, oh, oh, lots of lots of different types of businesses, but but a lot of them are in the innovation space. So whether it's games designers, software, engineering organisations, uh, people looking at big infrastructure for, for example, the EV market over in Europe mm-hmm. and the UK. Um, so funding so so crucial uh, for all of that. So that's taking a lot of our time just now, but the doors are opening, so it's all good news. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing because um, I know, and very not very many people know this, but even in the United States, and I'm sure it's, it's similar when you're talking about grants and funding, but even for the revenue teams themselves, a lot of the governments have um, specific funding set aside for training employees, including sales, that actually pay, pays for part of what you and I and everybody else is are doing if it's if it's set up right in the United States, it's individual states that those governments choose what that's going to be. But 
I, it sounds somewhat similar, just grants, you know, period for innovation and keeping people up to speed. And I, it brought to mind, I was also in what we called healthcare, kind of the Amazon delivery system of healthcare, but with a middleware platform at one point. And uh-huh. one of my, I, I love her to death to pieces. I always say this. her name's Gail Lindsay and she was with Kaiser Permanente. And in the United States, we were going through a, um, a sort of shift in fee for service versus uh, value-based healthcare, meaning that you treated the whole body, not just that. So they did a lot of preventative care and she was with Kaiser Permanente, which is a big organization over here. Uh-huh. And she was um, uh, one of the doctors and I, his name, all of a sudden my brain is blank, but she quoted it all the time is, um, is um, quality of life. Isn't that what we're all in this for? And, and I mean, that doesn't just, that's not just healthcare. That's all the things that you have been talking about, right? Um, different energy sources, different um, bringing, when we talk infrastructure, we're talking about roads and bridges as well as financial infrastructures and all of those things globally. And you're talking about the health and well being for these companies that are innovative and able to get that funding to help make the global way of life better. Isn't that what we're in it all for, right? I mean, that makes sense. 100%. 100%. <laughs> and it's taken, the, it's taken the reset in the last two years to, for, for people to actually step up and say, well, okay, uh, hold on. So maybe, uh, maybe working you know, uh, 12 hour days is, is not the right way to do. Maybe investing in in the um, in spending time with the kids. It's interesting over in the UK, where there's, there's a big shift happening at the moment, and especially in the big cities. Um, I, I, I was following a LinkedIn post this morning and there was a lady who, who um, uh, she, she, she took a photograph of her and one of our friends and um, they were heading in to work on the tube and they were all just squashed in like sardines. And of course, the, the, the dialogue in the, in the LinkedIn feed was interesting because people were, were challenging that now, where, uh, you know, more than two years ago, we, we took uh, 12 hour days and, and rushing in and rushing out and working so hard that really all you can do at the weekend is recover. We took that as a badge of honor, but now people are challenging, especially the younger generation. The, the um, you know, for example, my kids in their twenties are saying, "No, we, we don't want to do that. We we want to go skiing. We want to have a weekend. We want to. We're happy to work." And of course, the um, the opportunities that um, hybrid working has given has, in in my opinion, been fantastic because, you know dads and mums are getting to see their kids when when they're young and and all those key um dates like when they when they first walk when they first talk that that gone by days gone by that that was down to the daycare they, they were the ones that got that benefit not necessarily the parents you know yeah um so th- these are big changes that have been brought about and i think to the positive how, how is that coming? How is that working in, in the US, Val? How are you seeing that? 
You know, it always comes with mixed bags um, with the way that the U.S. rolls. But um, I mean, I take fr- I try to take Fridays off because I'm so tired by the end of it, you know. And um, I think that they the companies are trying to help with quality of life more, um, partially from the cultural shifts from the younger generation, as you mentioned. Um, pendulums tend to swing one, you know, all the way one way, and then we get kind of in the middle ground for it. But yeah, I, I don't think anybody sets out going, I want to work myself to death. And then when I retire, I just die. Right. I mean, that's nobody, nobody says that's my goal. That's my five-year plan. Right. So, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> so, you know, and it, it's always refreshing, you know, uh, learning from history and then learning from, the excitement and and the exuberance of youth, right? As what they have to say and how they see things. I mean, they're not creating the computer from scratch anymore. So it's just different now, right? But yeah. now that they already have that basis, they're able, and that's just an example, not completely, but they're able to build on what you have been doing or what those who have gone before And yeah, their eyes are open. Hey, we want quality of life. You know, we don't want the show on TV that says we work 50 hours um, in that one 24 hour period. And, um, and I know in the past I've done, you know, I get my full-time equivalents. I, it, 17 hour days were definitely there. They were part of my life. And, um, no, I don't want that any more than anybody else, you know, and my employees, I don't want that with anybody either. You know, I want an honest integrity type situation with good effort at work when, when you are working, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's very important. And that's where I also feel like the fractional rise helps because, some of these guys to get up to speed fast enough to help some of these small companies, it, it, it will take a toll on a learning curve. You know, one guy told me today, you know, four years to get there you know, where they didn't have four years to get there. So it, it's, it's helpful, but yeah, anyway, but Murray, um, this has been super exciting. So Tell me a little bit of where, if somebody want, who's listening wants to get a hold of you, one of the places, we'll list all the different places to get a hold of you on the Revenue Maze page and everything else. But what's one place that they can get a hold of you? Probably LinkedIn is the best for me, Val. So, so if they search Murray Wilkinson on LinkedIn, I'll come up. And uh, the, the, obviously the project I'm working on just now is with these innovation companies in the tax credit space but that's a, that's just a project i'm working on just now but i uh, feel free to reach out and connect on linkedin and we can get into dialogue and if there's anyone needs any any help or thoughts or or opinions on what's best to do what's not to do i'm not saying i always have the right answers but i'm certainly <laughs> happy to to try and, and give some support for sure um so be delighted to uh to, to connect for sure all right <clears throat> 
Well, there you have it. Uh, another episode of the Revenue Maze with Murray Wilkinson this time. And I, it was super fun. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Murray. It was wonderful. Thanks again, Val. Great to see you.